Welcome to episode 12 of the Hail Married podcast. I'm the Toves, and I'm joined by my college football-loving wife, the A-Toves. We're excited to be back talking UTSA Roadrunner football together and looking forward to what's so far been a much-hyped season. All right, for our first segment uh, for the podcast, let's talk 2021 season preview. Look, we'll be the first to admit that we could go X's and O's on this, but that's not really our strength. So first off, let's talk overall team thoughts. Do you have any thoughts about the offense, defense, special teams, coaching staff? I mean, I think overall, everything that we've seen through spring camp and fall camp, you know, indicates that we're not going to see anything radically different than what we saw in 2020. Um, This was really about, you know, trying to build on what they established last year um, and have some more time to really kind of develop the players and develop some depth. I mean, Trailers hinted that, you know, he's concerned about morale with the um, with the team, that there might be a few people who, you know, may be expected to start or expected to go to um, Illinois, but because they can only take 75 players on the plane, you know, aren't going to be able to travel. But he hasn't really indicated that there's going to be any significant shakeup. So it kind of, to me, seems like, you know, maybe there's a player who thought, you know, hey, I'm going to jump up in the depth chart. But, you know, because of the super seniors, they aren't or, you know, maybe they haven't made as many strides as they thought they had. I just don't think that we're going to see a whole lot of difference, um, you know, in terms of the depth chart. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think that um, everything's been kind of status quo from last year. Um, Nobody's, like you said, nobody's really kind of broken through, at least that we know of. Um, So... You know, I think we're just going to see a lot of the same team, a lot of the same starters to begin the year. Now, as the year g- progresses, um, there's probably going to be some breakout guys, which we might get to. We're going to get to a little bit later here. But um, at least for us, we think that it's really just going to be not much change. Um, we're going to have this, you know, same starting quarterback. So here we go. Frank starts last year. He's mm-hmm. going to start this year. So consistency there. Um and then, you know, again, we have our workhorse sincere in the backfield um, on defense. You pretty much have most of the same guys returning, um, you know, whether they're going to be starting or whether they're going to be challenged by some of these guys, probably, but still not much change. There's just probably going to be, and, and I think there's probably going to be guys that are going to start, but they're going to be kind of like used like Manu Jalobli, where they're going to come off the bench and they're going to be used maybe to close out the game not really starting it. So it'll be interesting, I think, early on, seeing how they mismatch some of these players. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to see some differences in the two-up, at least at starting, it might be on the defense in some of the areas where we were, you know, a little thin um, because they've brought in guys, you know, to try to, you know, build some depth up. So maybe you see somebody that started last year that's, you know, now coming in, said off the bench they're still playing because trailer says you know he likes to rotate a lot of guys in as long as it's not you know the o-line or the quarterback position so i think you'll see a lot of rotations maybe not as many you know obviously in champagne because they can't take as many kids um but i don't know that we're going to see anything that's just really going to be earth shattering you know right let's talk real quick about um the single digits like that was one of the big announcements this Mm -hmm. week what were some of your thoughts? Uh, any surprises? Anything come up? Um, you know, there were two, uh, or sorry, there was one that, that didn't get 
um, a single digit this year that did last year, which was Sheldon Jones. Um, you know, in some cases that might have been a surprise. In other cases, I don't know that I was that surprised just because we really haven't heard a lot of discussion about him coming out of spring camp or fall camp. Um, certainly nothing negative, but also hadn't heard a lot of, you know, discussion about him and, and hadn't seen a lot of interviews with him where, you know, most of the guys that ended up getting single digits were people that had been available to the media for interviews or had been mentioned by other players. So I don't think that there was anybody that I saw end up getting a single digit that I was really surprised about other than maybe Jamal Ligon, just because he's so young. I think he's probably one of the youngest guys that got a single digit. Um, but not surprising that it happened other than it happened now, given all of the guys that are back this year. That's a good point. Um, but I think that's a, I think I like the growth there yeah. because once you start seeing some of these younger guys actually get in there, that means that, that culture has really seeped in mm-hmm. um, and, and they're really embodying what it means to be in essentially the single digits. And so it is really good to see because it's player voted. So it's really good to see that they're recognizing him as somebody that embodies the culture. So, you know, while, yeah, we can go back and forth on, you know, Sheldon Jones and say, you know, deserving, not deserving um, to your point, hadn't really heard from him. So um, I don't know that there really was any surprises um, though. It is, I won't say it's a surprise, but, or maybe it is, but to see your, both your quarterbacks, your top two quarterbacks mm-hmm. in there and your top two running backs in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe at least for the top two quarterbacks kind of raises your eyebrow a little bit going, is that a controversy yet? It doesn't feel like one because I think we know that it's Frank. So no matter what, so maybe it's just the leadership that these two are bringing and, and because of it, uh, they're differing styles. That's what really spoke to a lot of these guys. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, in, in other schools it might seem very controversial, but you don't see Frank and Josh as being, um, you know, in competition in a negative way. They seem like to adversaries, be, com- yeah. yeah it's not adversarial. They're very, you know, they say that they are very close and that's, you know, what you constantly hear. I think this, you know, speaks to the fact that they're, you know, both advocates for each other. They're both leaders, um, you know, and you can have feelings about what's, who's the right guy to go with, but it's not a clear cut. This one is, you know, miles ahead of the other one, right. of, you know, where I think, again, you see them very close in terms of the competition, you know, who could be the starter, um, you know, and, and the good thing for us is that, you know, if Frank does get hurt, we're going to feel confident that we do have a backup, you know, not that anybody wants that to happen, but, right. you know, a lot of times you see schools where the starting quarterback goes down and the season derails you know yeah. right after that and so you know i think we know that that's not going to be an issue i think it's just fun fan, fan speculation it's right. fun to like put it on twitter it's fun to like talk about it on the tailgates talk, talk about it just anywhere message boards whatever but in reality you see what the team really is and that's that it's frank's team mm-hmm. we can all decide think that it should be somebody else but hey this is this is who the coaches feel comfortable with and that's who we roll with and I think we're good. And from a leadership perspective, I don't, I mean, I think there's, there's been questions about 
Frank in terms of his passing, but there's never been questions about Frank in terms of his leadership. You know, he's obviously somebody that the players see as a leader, somebody the coaches see as a leader, um, you know, and, and he seems like an all around good guy. So. Yeah. Um, before we kind of close this piece right here, I just want to say like, uh, we haven't talked special teams, but I mean, returning both your, essentially big time kicker and punter. Mm -hmm. There's not really a lot to say except for we just expect that there's going to be the same consistency that we saw last year, which is again, making field goals and, you know, from Duplessis and then, you know, just change the field from uh, Dean. Well, but I, I will say on that, you know, even trailer has said in his interviews that he wants to see an elevation in special teams play. But I think when he's talking about that, he's obviously not talking about Dean and, and Duplicis, what he's talking about, in my opinion, is the punt returning, the kick returning, the blocking. Um, and, you know, I think that's where they're still, for specifically on the returning, I think there's still some question marks um, about, you know, who are the right players? What does that, you know, what could that look like? What should that look like in the future? Because, you know, I think we can elevate pieces of the special teams um, to match the play of Duplicis and, and Dean. That's a good point. Um, I would also add to the fact that uh, when you talk about the returners, it's almost like trying to balance whether you want someone really dynamic, but maybe not as sure-handed back there, or do you want somebody sure-handed but lacks the dy dynamic play ability? Mm -hmm. So I would argue, and I think I shouldn't even say argue, I think everybody knew that the last year – we weren't about dynamic. It was about, let's just make the catch, take the field and we move forward. Right. Um, so maybe that's the approach we take this year. I would imagine though, that we're probably going to look to get a little more dynamic in the punt returns mm -hmm. um, just so we can change the field again there too. Uh, we want to have some sort of threat. So, um, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. So with that, let's transition now to opponents. Um, you know, Last year, at the end of our last episode, we had, you know, we kind of did some previews or whatever, but we we didn't really know what the opponents were going to look like, except the fact, I guess one really big fact was all these games are going to be winnable. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily we're going to win them, but they're winnable and that we're at least have an opportunity to be in these games. So that said, out of the opponents, anything that kind of stands out for you? Well, I mean, obviously we're going to get our first look here at Illinois this weekend, which, um, you know, is going to be an interesting game against Nebraska. Um, Illinois, you know, they're a question mark to me because they're changing coaches. And anytime you change coaches, you know, you don't know how the players are going to respond. You know, they have the luxury of having you know, 20 super seniors back or whatever the number is. Um, but there's also been discussion about the fact that, you know, there are new coaches coming in and he's changing the scheme to a pro style offense. And he's also changing to a three, four defense. So, you know, you just don't really know what that's going to look like and how that's going to transition in terms of their ability to execute um, on the field. Again, you would anticipate because there are so many seniors coming back that maybe they can execute those changes at a higher level than they you know, would if it was younger guys coming in. Um, but I see them as kind of a really big question mark just because, you know, we don't know how they're going to handle that. 
Good point. I will say Western Kentucky and Bailey Zappi should be interesting. Mm -hmm. Just in that, obviously, because Western Kentucky took Houston Baptist offense and brought it over, offensive coordinator, see Bailey Zappi, two top wide receivers. So it'll be interesting how it translates to Conference USA. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess to me, the question around them is does the hype live up to what the field is going to play out to? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch them. You know, obviously, people have them. I say people, I say a lot of college fans just have them up high in Conference right, USA. They're like set, picked to finish second in the East, which is pretty high, I mm -hmm. think. Um, I, I would imagine they're third right around FAU. I think FAU and them are going to be battling out there for second or third, um, maybe higher. Uh, listen to some Conference USA podcasts, and I think you can hear that FAU is sort of a kind of a dark horse in that people are just kind of writing them off, even though they probably shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But now you have here um, Western Kentucky, and I think it's just that flash around it. You brought right. Bailey in. He's just going to be a gunslinger everywhere. I mean, if he is, and it brings a lot of excitement, great. Whether it's going to bring a lot of wins, who knows? Yeah. I mean, the other two for me are Southern Miss and Rice. Rice, you know, this could be their breakout season. You know, I think <laughs> last year they had some breakout games, but with the change in quarterback, um, you know, this could be the rice that we've been anticipating for a while. And, and let's be honest, rice has always been um, a tough game for UTSA, even when they weren't playing well. <laughs> so, you know, an improved rice, um, you know, they could be definitely a threat to UTSA just because, you know, we always seem to struggle against them. Um, and, you know, it's one of those games where, you know, it doesn't matter what the record is going into it. You just never know, you know, how it's going to turn out. That's a good point. I mean, I would just I would just want to kind of expand on what you said. And we always struggle against them because, you know, we kind of talked about it before in one of our uh, former podcast or last podcast episodes in that they almost play us like they're like we're a rival. Mm -hmm. The scores and the play on the field matches rivalry. There's just not a fan base from Rice that comes right. back at like UTSA, like say a North Texas does, or mm -hmm. even Texas State, right? The Texas State quote unquote rivalry isn't really a rivalry because we've either blown them out or it's been kind of close, yet you still felt like you UTSA was going to win, right? Like you, there was never really too much of a doubt. With Rice, even last year, we had talked about it. Um, there was a good chance they might beat us mm -hmm. <laughs> when they played us. Not just because we were shorthanded, but because it's Rice and we just seem to struggle. Only thing I'll say about Rice having a potentially breakout season, I think they'll be good. I don't think they'll be necessarily a breakout. And some of that has to do with, I think, the inconsistency in quarterback. I mean, if you're in all in on Luke McCaffrey, great. He's got flaws. Um, and I, I think if they had – I think it was Mike Collins back – I think things would be different, but they're not returning a quarterback. So I think that changes their outlook a little bit, but that doesn't mean that Bloomgren can't come through and yeah. go, uh, you know, give us a wow. So. And then, you know, Southern Miss again, change in uh, coaches. I mean, to be fair to Southern Miss, you know, the amount of coaching changes um, they had last year <laughs> and the way they pulled through that season was really impressive um, just because, you know, it's not normal to go through that many coaches in a season and have all of those people opt out and, you know, have injuries and what, and everything else that they faced. So, 
you know, they could be, um, they could be much tougher than we anticipate. You know, I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't want to write them off. I agree. I, I think this is sort of one of those watch out games. Um, simply because as you said, Southern Miss just seems to have some juice to them. Um, and you know, Willie Hall coming in could give them that extra boost. Um, we only beat them by a field goal last year. And to be honest with you, it seemed like it was going to be a stumble, even if it, even though it was in the November to remember uh, period, it was still, yeah. still, I felt like a lot closer than the score indicated. And we won by three. So yeah. it's crazy. The so, advantage we have is that we play them at home this year though. So hopefully that will help. True. True. So with now talking about all of UTSA and now talking about their opponents, you have fans that you're either all in and going 12 and 0, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unrealistic, or you know, I, I you don't see them going 0 and 12, no, but you know, that's that's sort of the you know, the both ends of the spectrum. So, let's talk what are realistic expectations for UTSA this year? I mean, on the one hand, you know, we have one of the lowest ranked strength of schedules, so you know, we should do well based on the fact that we aren't playing, you know, a lot of really tough teams. Um, But I think there's still some things that we have to consider, you know, from last year, one of the reasons we were successful, we had a lot of close games and it could have gone very differently. But one of the reasons we were successful is because, you know, our culture that was instilled helped us to really hold it together in a way that some other teams let COVID get to them, let the injuries get to them. They weren't prepared, you know, for, uh, or their backups weren't prepared. Um, and I don't know that we're going to see that as much this year. Um, so my guess is that, you know, some of the really high expectations in terms of records are, are unrealistic. I mean, I don't think that we should feel good about, you know, a a losing record by any means. Um, And I don't think that's, you know, where we're going. Um, But I think realistically, we're looking somewhere between a six to eight win season. I'd agree. And I I think what, I think really, just to get to the bottom of it, I don't know that this is a conference championship winning team. I get the hype. I get that, you know, there's there's people that are hyping up UTSA because of the fact that we return so many, so much production on offense. We return so many people on defense. Um, I think it's the realistic expectation for UTSA this year, as you said, six to eight wins and a bull bid. Yeah. I think anything less than that. And then I think we start looking back at the season and saying, okay, where did it go wrong? Yeah. Did we again get bitten by quarterback curse? Did we, you know, something else happen that, yeah caused us to derail so any other final thoughts there no okay now that we've talked expectations let's have a little fun with this usually there's a rebuttal when somebody makes a grand statement about hey are you gonna do this yeah better so i really want to turn this segment the yeah better the big questions that utsa needs to answer in 2021 with the first question I'm going to throw this out there to you and then give you, hit you with a couple facts. Can UTSA take the next step by beating a team with a winning record? UTSA hasn't beaten a team with a winning record at home since 2017, which is Marshall. And then on the road since 2016, which is middle Tennessee. 
Now, you could throw LaTeX at me from last year. However, they did end up 5-5, five and five, so I don't really count that as a winning record. If you'd like to, if you'd like that, then they've answered that question. But that's been the big problem to me over the last few years. Obviously, we've had a team that maybe hasn't been as talented, wasn't as well coached. Whatever your reasons you think about it, I'll say this. In order for them to begin reaching that next level and to really be seen as a conference champion, you can't just keep beating bad teams. You got to show up and you got to beat teams with winning records. Any thoughts on that? No, I agree. I mean, I think they will because we did beat La Tech last year, so we came close. I mean, I'm not saying they had a winning record. I'm not, but I'm, I am saying that because we were able to do that with them, I think we can take that next step. Um, and frankly, I think we're going to have to take that next step because, again, you know, if we don't, it doesn't show a level of progress, and it, you know, doesn't show that Trailer really, you know, is turning the corner with this team. Um, you know, I think we're close. I think we will. I don't know that we're going to make as much progress this year, you know, and, and again, part of that's going to be partially our strength of schedule, partially, you know, some of these other things that are going on. So I don't know how many winning teams we're going to be playing this year, <laughs> but, um, but I do think that at least one of them um, with a winning record, we will beat this year. All right. Let me give you the second question. What effect will dual defensive coordinators have on the defense? Last year under LEP, I, I thought the, the defense performed well, but you do have to take into account that it was two, two teams that weren't, or three teams really that weren't playing at their best. If you talk Louisiana, then okay, we can chalk that up, right? Um, but honestly, the tackling was at its worst under LEP. Again, you can give a reason as to COVID started really taking its toll on the team, injuries took toll on the team. Um, I just think that there's there's going to be some learning. There's going to be a learning curve uh, with the two of them. They've been, uh, you know you've heard some discussion about both of them talking about how they've gotten really close. They talk all the time, but that does that really translate onto the field? Is that, you know, if I want to, let's just say, if I want to blitz, just go all out blitz, but one of them says, Nope, you know, are we going to get conflicts? I don't know. What are your thoughts? You know, I, I think the biggest concern or biggest question mark for me when it comes to our defense, um, really is the tackling because at the end of the year it was getting, I mean, it wasn't great all year long, um, but it also was getting really, it seemed like it was getting bad at the end of the year. And, you know, that's something that you would hope that the benefit of having a spring and a fall camp would really help us to clean up some of those issues and execution. Um, so I think I have I'm more concerned about if we didn't clean up those level that piece of execution than I am about having co-defensive coordinators. Um, you know, last year it seemed like Lep, you know, really was the one taking control. So I guess, you know, there is a question mark of how much did Rod Wright really have influence last year? And did that is that level going to change this year? Or is it just that there was that level of influence? the same level of influence last year. And we just saw Lep in the, you know, as the face of the defense, you know, in the interview process. So 
I mean, I think that's a question mark, but uh, the other thing for me is the linebacker coach, you know, new guy coming in. He really is the only new coach, you know, this year and how much of an influence is he going to have in that position? And that was a, a position that we were, you know, thin at. So are we going to make improvements there? But back to your, to your original question. I mean, you know, it, um, I think it's always a risk to have dual coordinators, whatever the position is, just because um, you have to have a real level of trust and a level of communication. And we're hoping and assuming that it's there, but we just don't know. Good point. All right, here's the next question. Was 2020 truly the turning point for the football team? So our friend Big Brown had started this kind of looking at all of the new programs that you know came around we started kind of just capturing some i'd say some just a, some, a little bit of data uh, i wouldn't say we did any sort of deep dives um but it really showed that new programs around the 10th year began to turn the corner mm-hmm. so we really got into about the 10th year of utsa football for me, I feel like it is beginning to turn the corner. I, I think if you're looking at the curve, you got a, a better road ahead. Um, I don't believe that. Um, I guess that it, it, there's going to be a lot of rocky roads ahead. I think we, we got those recruiting pipelines that are finally starting to bear fruit for UTSA, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that actually also using the transfer portal judiciously is getting us to better spots as opposed to before when we would bring in transfers and it seemed like we were just trying to plug holes and then they just weren't good enough to plug those holes so yeah i mean i think it's all signs point to yes but you know again a lot of that is going to um is going to have to do with whether or not trailer can be consistent you know if trailer's tenure goes the way of coker and frank wilson's tenure where your three things kind of of start to fall apart, um, then, you know, we might just be right back where we started from. Um, But I think if we start to see consistency in terms of, you know, our execution on the field um, under trailer, we now have the facilities, um, we now have more um, name recognition, you know, the recruiting pipelines, I think it absolutely could be, but I think a lot of this is going to fall on um, whether or not, you know, Jeff trailer can execute the way that we think he can, which I think leads into your next question. It does. <laughs> and that is, does trailer differentiate himself from Wilson in year two? We saw the similarities. Uh, I think obviously it's been a different storyline, but, mm-hmm. but the main events have been about the same, you know, winning record or at least a bowl eligible record in year one. And then you went to the bowl game lost though it was a close loss to mm-hmm. you know your bowl opponent so and a much stronger bowl opponent yeah than, than what wilson faced yeah absolutely so like i said the storyline's different but mm-hmm. the events are the same and mm-hmm. you can kind of look at that and say oh it's starting to happen again where this second the second year is looking uh, like like it, they could mirror each other mm-hmm. with that said how do you feel about that? You know, I feel better about trailer than Wilson for a number of different reasons. One, you know, I feel like 
overall, he has a better leadership and he has a better strategic oversight for what he wants to see for the scene, for the um, team, the scene, sorry, the team. Um, and so I think because of his leadership and in his vision, um, I give him an automatic edge over Wilson. The other thing with Wilson, and I could be misremembering this, so you tell me if I'm wrong, but wasn't 2017 the year where we literally went down to like the day of before he said that Dalton was going to be the starter? It was the year before. It was the year before. Okay. All right. Well, I think just, you know, the fact that he kind of believes in his players, he believes in the team, he has a vision for the team. I think those are the things that are really going to set him apart from, from Wilson and where we went with Wilson. Um, but I still think that there's a potential for a bit of a letdown in season three because Trailer has the advantage of having all these super seniors, you know, back this year. So the question mark's going to be, is he really developing the team, you know, his, his twos and his threes and his fours, so that when those super seniors are gone, you know, they're going to be able to kind of pick right up in, in season three. The only thing that gets me, I would say, here in year two uh, that gives me pause is that he actually gave percentages of how he wants his offense to run, which was odd. He talked about oh, wanting, run versus pass. He yeah. wanted 65% run versus 35% pass, which I thought was odd that he would actually come out and say that. Mm-hmm. We've talked to Barry Lunny before. For COVID, we got a chance to, to speak to him. We joked around with him, you know, but he talked about, hey, if this is working, we're going with that. If this mm-hmm. is working, we're going with that. So he really wasn't looking at percentages at the time. Now, things can change because he hadn't had any sort of training with the team. He had, you know, probably just basic knowledge of the players. Now that he's had a season, right? it's interesting, I think, whether that holds true. The reason I bring this up is because Wilson really got conservative in 2017 mm-hmm. with the offense. It was, again, to your point of not trusting, I think, the quarterbacks. We knew Dalton could throw, but it seemed like he did not want him throwing too much. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of it was based on, I have this defense, which ended up being the best defense in UTSA, statistically the best defense in UTSA history, um, and, and really wanted to keep keep them off the field. So he had a very conservative offense. The problem is it didn't really execute. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting, again, to see Again, I think there's going to be a different storyline, and it's. But if it starts mimicking, my follow-up question within this overall question is: When does the honeymoon end for Trailer? Right. Well, I think the honeymoon could end after this year. If well, first of all, it, it will end this year if he doesn't get to a bowl game, um, because I think that would be considered you know, an absolute blasphemous. Yeah. It's, well, a disaster of a season if we didn't get to a bowl game, you know, if, if it's because we don't, we don't get to go to a bowl game because COVID, that would be one thing, but right. you know, if it's because we don't earn a bowl bid, um, you know, I think that would be disastrous for him, but I think the next, you know, let's say we get to the bowl game, we, we meet at least meet the expectations. We, you know, think we can achieve this year the minimum expectations, I think next year, you know, again, there's risk for trailer because he loses all of these super seniors and it's really going to be a matter of, did you really develop the guys? Because to me, the difference between, or or the issue with Frank was we know he could recruit, but he didn't prove that he could develop. 
And because he couldn't develop, the team never progressed. And he just kept trying to bring in new recruits. And, you know, yeah, he, he was putting everything on the shoulders of Rashad and Sincere. And, you know, those guys are exceptional and, and can step up and carry a team probably without needing as much development as some others. But I think we're going to see them excel and have seen them excel under trailer because they have gotten development. I think it'll be interesting to see how fans react if some of their maybe unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's after the season, we'll know yeah, if that honeymoon ends. I mean, again, certainly yeah. there's going to be folks that think that we should win the Western conference and get to the championship. And, and I think that's, not I mean I'm not saying it couldn't happen I think it could but I think it's more of an outside shot versus you know a, a guarantee right though I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed if they prove us wrong and end up playing for the championship and no, I think that absolutely. just needs to be stated <laughs> yeah absolutely um I mean I think we should all you know just be thrilled if we get to the championship game but I don't think we should be disappointed if we end up if we finish second in the west I think that is perfectly respectable for a team that doesn't have much history, I, I would say that's absolutely correct. So with that, let's go to our last question. Will 2021 season be more like 2020 or 2019? You know, I think this one's going to be interesting because, you know, everybody kind of had this expectation going in to this beginning of the summer or the spring thinking, okay, everything's going to be back to 2019. We're going to have this packed or or the ability to have a packed house, right? Um, Obviously, 2019 attendance at UTSA was not great. COVID level. Yeah, it was was COVID level. level. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, college football and in general that we would have these, you know, packed stadiums. And given the Delta variant and this, you know, potential of other variants, I don't know that we're going to get as close to what we thought we would have for the 2019 season as possible. I mean, you know, obviously some of the the COVID protocols are different and you're starting to see these teams with a higher level of vaccination rates. So, you know, at this point they're not, you know, it seems like they're saying, well, look, if you're vaccinated, you're not necessarily going to have to, you know, quarantine if you are, you know, exposed to COVID. And so you may not see as many, people being removed from games for COVID protocols. Um, you know, so that impact might not be as strong, but it's it's still going to be more of an impact than I think any of us wanted to believe we would have. Like, I think we thought everything would be back to this season. And I, I just think particularly in San Antonio, because, you know, of the variant right now, I think there's going to be a lot of people staying home versus coming out or maybe they'll go to the tailgate, but won't go inside. Um, you know, so I don't know that we're going to have the attendance level that we were hoping for and, and, or the attendance level that if COVID was removed, we would have under, you know, this team and this coach. Yeah. I mean, I, I think honestly that it's still going to stay 2020 mm-hmm. mostly because of the reasons you've outlined. Um, again, we never really defeated COVID. So mm-hmm because of it, it's still hanging around and it's still affecting us not only in our daily lives, but I thought your point about, you know, people not wanting to come in. I I think there's going to be a lot of question as to 
are there going to be any sort of regulations when you walk yeah. in? Well, so, and that, you know, frankly, because the Alamo Dome hasn't come out and said, hey, we're going to require masks um, or anything, you know, I mean, you've, you're seeing some of these other stadiums now in other cities saying, look, you're going to have to have, you know, proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test or you're going to have to wear masks or whatever. And we really haven't heard anything in the Alamo Dome. Um, so I think that's going to drive down attendance because people that, you know, are uncomfortable or maybe immunocompromised aren't going to take the chance if they don't feel like there's safety protocols in place. Um, yeah. And I think the biggest hit here um, is families. Mm-hmm. As much as, you know, UTSA kind of wants to hit on this, you know, family atmosphere. Because right. you still have kids that can't get vaccinated. You know? Yeah. And you're seeing school districts that are either canceling or like, you know, closing down schools and going back virtual for like, you know, a couple of weeks yeah. or doing, you know, even UTSA has done that, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of weeks, the first, I think three weeks, actually, I should say, um, have been are virtual. So with, with all that flying around, I think it'll affect attendance, especially early on. We'll see how it progresses. But someone tells me that, again, you're going to look at it 2020, but it's mostly going to be from the stands, um, especially UTSA you'll see that effect of people just not showing up and mm-hmm. you know that'll be unfortunate um, but hopefully the team doesn't take much from it um hopefully they just have a they take a wider view and understand why this is happening right as opposed to not because you guys aren't good it's because there's right. other things in the world that are going on and that's what's preventing us from doing this all right five big questions for us to ponder as the year progresses and at the end of the year we'll take a look back at them and see if uh, they were answered or if we think that something different is coming out of these. So now let's shift gears and let's talk about our surprise players. We decided to do something a little different and we're picking uh, players that we think are gonna bust out from each, the offense, defense, and special teams. Um, We dug deep here. We did some big time research, not really, but um, we just looked at some of the interviews and looked at how some of the players have been coming along and we're going to take some swings here as to who we think is going to bust out this year. So without further ado, I will give Atopes the first pick on offense that uh, she gave. Well, and let's also make it clear. We're not trying to shoot for starters necessarily. These are, you know, kind of your dark horse. Good point. Breakout candidates, right? Um, so on offense, um, I picked Oscar Cardenas. Um, He did play in all 12 games last year, but he only had one start. Um, He had three receptions for 46 yards. And, you know, one of the things that I think, um, you know, we've heard a lot of great things about Oscar, first of all, from, you know, feedback during camp. Um, You know, Leroy Watson has praised him um, and has said, you know, how great Oscar is and how he's developing. Um, the other thing I think I'm predicting is going to happen with the Titans this year. Now that we know that Frank is the starter, um, and you know we know that Frank is much more comfortable with shorter passes, um, I think that gives us the opportunity to maybe have some more double tight end sets. Um, so I think that's going to give more playing time you know, potentially to um, Oscar, even if, you know, Leroy is still kind of the primary starter, I think you might see Oscar more in the, um, with more playing time. 
Um, so I think that he is primed to have, you know, a really great season this year and, you know, set himself up to be the starter for next year. It makes sense that Oscar kind of has that rising star because he showed he can fulfill both blocking and receiving uh, duties for the tight end. So good pick. For me, I'm taking a huge swing here. Now, I'm banking on the fact that uh, Sincere's rushing attempts are going to be cut back. So they're going to have to go to someone. Uh, if you look back at all the rushing attempts from last year, many of them were our quarterbacks, which I know Trailer wants to run them, but you know you, <laughs> you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. You're starting to risk some in- injury, especially with the Frank, right? So I'm taking a big swing here. I'm going with Kedrick Cobbs. Um, reason being is, um, I mean, he had some good performances and some blowout victories, namely UTEP. Uh, but what I'm looking at really is the fact that he's a smart kid. You know, I, I think that given some opportunities, uh, extra opportunities uh, for carries, I think he'd make the most of it, especially behind an experienced offensive line. So, you know, while, of course, we're going to see Sincere make some big plays, I think Kedrick come in and fill a nice, uh, fill a nice uh, hole there for that we have when it comes to the backups. I know Brendan's in there and I think mm-hmm. Brendan, you know, should have a pretty good uh, season as a backup, but I think Kedrick is going to do, is going to surprise them. And I think we're going to raise our eyes uh, for a running back that honestly um, is going to get plenty of chance to succeed. I know D'Anthony, Mel- uh, I'm sorry, DA over from Judson um, is probably a, another guy that everybody's looking at but there's no way that they're going to burn that red shirt this year when they have so many running backs um, in that backfield so he'll get his four games but he's just not going to be i think that uh, super breakout star and i would i would would not that he would not be this year you know given that you have kedrick and and brendan right i mean sincere yeah you've got plenty of time and there's no reason to burn that red shirt this year so um kedrick's my guy on offense on defense I'm taking another swing here, um, and I think there's other people that have probably picked him as well, but I'm going Caden Holt. I think with all the departures uh, from the linebacking crew, you see that there's the depth is getting a little thinner, and I, I think when I first saw Caden, I, I initially wasn't impressed until I saw more of his film, and then I realized he's a true middle linebacker, and you'll see that from plenty of other publications. Um, it, I think that brings – a different facet to this defense to actually have a true middle linebacker. We saw that with Josiah and I'm not comparing Caden to Josiah at all, but I'm saying when you have a true middle linebacker, it makes a whole world of difference for you um, on the defense. What's your pick? Um, I'm going with Kalechi and Wachiku. Um, first and foremost, because I think he has uh, just a really cool name. Um, I like saying it. So, um, but besides that, um, I think that uh, Kalechi has a lot to prove this season. Um, and I think he really wants to prove a lot this season. You know, when they came out with the single digit numbers, you know, there was this tweet that he apparently deleted that kind of made it seem like he was disappointed that he didn't get one. So I'm hoping that, that first of all, that that kind of drives him. Um, but he also, you know, he played in most of the games or maybe all of the games last season, um, but he only started in two. Um, he was fourth in tackles um, and second in solo stops, but he hasn't had any inter- interceptions yet. So 
I think the other thing about him is that he really played well in the big games. Like he had great games and when we played Army, BYU, and Law Tech. Um, so I think he's really well positioned to take that next step and have a breakout season this year. For anyone that missed the reference that Ato just made about the tweet, um, he essentially tweeted out the uh, uh, picture of Jordan saying, and I took it personal. So <clears throat> you don't tweet that out unless it, it's hitting you deep. So. And hopefully that becomes the motivator, you know, not like something that gets in his way. So I'm going <laughs> to pin my faith that Kelechi is going to take that. It's going to motivate him and he's going to step up in terms of his game and his leadership. Sounds good. Um, special teams. I know this is a tough area, but give me your pick. Yeah. I, I, well, first of all, I wasn't really sure where to go on special teams because obviously, you know, we're going to leave, you know, Hunter and Dean as like, you know, kind of on the side because we already know that they're talented. Um, so, you know, kind of looking at the the surrounding cast, um, you know, I think there's still some questions in terms of who's actually going to be on special teams. Um, so the person that I chose is BJ Daniels, which, you know, again, he's, he's kind of the workhorse, if you will, on special teams. Like that's been the place that he's really made his name. So I don't know that it's like a big surprise, um, but I think that he's going to continue to be kind of that model of consistency. Um, now that Dingle's gone, you know, I think he's probably going to be, you know, the guy on the kickoff returns. Um, he's had a pair of kickoff returns uh, in the past, um, including a 19-yard uh, return against UTEP. Um, he's had, you know, again, he's been consistent. He's had some success there. We haven't seen, you know, really that kind of breakout on special teams. I think BJ being back this year has a lot to prove. I don't know that he's going to get a lot of playing time when it comes to, you know, just playing on offense because we do have such a deep running back room. So I think he's going to look to make a name for himself on the special teams. Fair enough. For me, I'm going to take a swing here and go at Julon Williams. I think it mimics a lot of what you said in terms of um, in terms of what you said about BJ. Julon's in a crowded wide receiver room, and I think any way to get him on the field and uh, use that sort of playmaking ability um, is going to be crucial for this team. Punt returns, we've kept it safe the last few seasons, and so I think that we're looking for a little bit of playmaking ability, um, and, and I think the Julon can bring that, whether it's on kick returns or on punt returns. Hopefully kick returns, because I want him to take those away from BJ so that I can well, I'm hoping I can that, lord that over you. I'm hoping that BJ is <laughs> going to go back to his uh, 2019 you know, um, self when it comes to kick returns, because that's when he had the 44-yard long uh, return. So that's my hope. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, so with this, uh, we'll be tracking our surprise players throughout the year, actually. Um, we'll look at some PFF grades. We'll look at their statistics for the games, only in their specific areas. So for Julon, for instance, for Julon and uh, BJ here, we're only going to look at the special team stuff. And, of course, we will give ourselves a pat on the back if they do some, something on the offensive side. But, you know, sure. that's how we're going to roll with this. All right. Before we go, let's uh, revisit our 2021 prediction. So... You know, back when we did our spring preview, um, we talked through each of the games and kind of come and gave our predictions for the season. Um, so now that we've made it through spring camp and fall camp, we're about to see the start of the season. 
you know, you had eight and four as your prediction in the in the spring. So are you sticking with that or are you making any changes? Yeah, I'm rolling it back. Um, honestly, we've gone back and forth on this. Um, and, and I think that there's going to be a lull. You know, that, that October has not always been kind to us, whether it's like the end of September going into October. Uh, so, you know, last year we had the November to remember, but it was because we had a torrid stretch during October. So, you know, I, I just think that when it comes to uh, La Tech, I had said that we would have our first win in Ruston. I'm going to walk that back uh, for the podcast and just say, well, we're going to take the loss there. I think LaTeX has been kind of well coached. We talked about it earlier. We're talking about some of our opponents for the year. So I, I just, I don't know. I just get a bad feeling for this. So just to make it even with you, I'm going to go seven and five, which means that, you know, we essentially have the same predictions, but that's okay. Right. We could both be wrong somewhere. But well, let me just ask you this since I mentioned sort of a lull, do you see that at all? Or am I just kind of just being a, uh, have the post-traumatic roadrunner disorder syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that our stretch of games, it's probably going to be the most challenging is going to be the Western Kentucky rice, Louisiana tech stretch. I think that I have us losing to Western Kentucky winning against rice and losing at law tech. Um, and partially because I think, you know, we've con- shown that we have struggled in away games. And so, you know, I think there could be a lull there. Although those, you know, that Western Kentucky game, we could win that and then we could lose Rice. Like we could kind of go back and forth there. I I feel like that that's, um, they could be flip-flops. But I just wouldn't be surprised if we went one and two in that stretch, you know, and then the second kind of two game back-to-back issue is Southern Miss and UAB. Um, Southern Miss, you know, we have the advantage of playing them at home this year, but, you know, like we talked about earlier, they now have a consistent coach. They've got, you know, hopefully they'll have their guys back. You know, it could be a different team. Um, UAB we know is going to be tough. Um, You know, they've got the most consistency across the board in Conference USA in the West and then there's always the wild card of North Texas, you know. Um, I think we win that game, but you know, North Texas, Rice, those two teams, like they they tend to give us more challenges than than they really should at times. Um, so it's the Texas Triangle, and this is the we have them winning all three games, which we've never done that before. So right. that's that's interesting, and I agree with you. I think Western Kentucky, Rice, and La Tech, you've got to essentially what we believe to be a high flying passing game from Western Kentucky, mm-hmm. a physical rice team. Mm-hmm. And then La Tech, who I think is probably going to be a little mix of both. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, going to be a, a tougher stretch than I think we imagined. Cause it's conference USA. Now I agree with you. I think at the very end though, Southern Miss UAB and North Texas, I would say UAB sounds the most impo- imposing. Sure. We have them at home. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, analysts that are predicting them uh, to essentially be coming in to play for the championship game or, or the appearance, appearance, excuse me, in a championship game. Um, I, I just, I, I think we might be out of it by that point. Uh, Southern Miss is going to be a tough game. Um, you know, 
you talked about some of the guys who were missing last year, last year. Um, and North Texas, they haven't won there since 2013. And th- right. there's been some tough games in between. There was 2017 when it was a heartbreaker. And then we were there for the 2019 game when everything just fell apart. And we just got completely blown out. So it's those games you go back to and look at and say, that's been our history. Mm-hmm. That's been sort of, this is where we might stumble. Well, and the other thing with North Texas, you know, we've got them at that Thanksgiving weekend where you traditionally play, you know, your rivals, right? Right. Which I think is a perfect time for us to be playing North Texas. But anybody who watches college football, whatever school it is, knows that that rivalry week, Thanksgiving, like there, there can be chaos. Um, So you got to keep your head in the game. We are a much more talented team than North Texas. We're a better coach team than North Texas, particularly this year. But um, if something's going to go haywire, it could be that game. Although I think there's more risk with Rice than with North Texas when you look at those, you know, Texas teams. I still question that Phil Bennett hire and defense for North Texas. I mean, I can't say that enough. You just, you just don't retread a, a quarter. A, coordinator and then think that you know they'll be they're out of the game for like a few seasons and think they can come back so um i i don't think i think that'll swing our way all right so what's your hail mary shot for this season so this was a tough one because we obviously talked about surprise players for me i, I don't think it's going to be necessary bust out but i'm just i know that trailer came out and said 65 35 rush i think by now i can't really get behind that enough to say that I think it's going to be Cephas that goes over 900 yards receiving and essentially establishes a new uh, school record. I, I know that we've had, we have Harris there at quarterback and, you know, we all talk about his passing. We have, you know, Josh as a backup. We have Lowell as a backup, but I think between the three, we're going to have to get some sort of consistent passing game. And I think that Cephas breaks it. And this is, this is what he does. I think he, he, um, he will take it as I think there's going to be too much, um, focus on Franklin this year. So Josh is going to go over 900. I said in our way too early predictions, I said uh, Sakari was going to go over 1,000. I just don't see that happening. I think Cephas squeaks over 900 in the bowl game. I'm going to go with this is going to be the differentiator between Wilson and, and Trailer. We're going to make it to a bowl game in year two, and we're going to win. Mark it down. Mark it down. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Hail Mary podcast. Um, We look forward to uh, the rest of the season and talking to you guys again after we get to see the uh, Illinois game in person in Champaign. We will be there. I'm Atos. And I'm the Toes. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 